as we come to God's Word, to Hebrews chapter 2, one of the core chapters in Hebrews. And a lot of the rest of Hebrews is built around this chapter, and so we really need to have our thinking caps on and pay attention. So I'd ask you if you've got your Bibles, can I just see how many have got Bibles here? Come on, Wanganese Baptist. Fantastic. Pardon? Doesn't matter really for now. <laughs> uh, what am I using? I'm sorry. A few actually, but for now, the ESV. All right. Well, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 2. We'll read the passage. We'll ask God to enlighten our minds and then we'll see what he has to say for us. Hebrews chapter 2, we're reading from verse 5. Now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, and that is Psalm 8, by the way. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now that word his... If you've got a Bible that capitalizes when it's referring to God, you'll notice it's a small letter. So it's speaking about mankind there. We'll come to that. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, that is mankind, he left nothing outside his control. At, prop, at present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, small letter H. But we see him, capital letter H who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God, I and the children God has given me. Verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Lord, as we come to your word here in Hebrews, May you make these words leap up at us. May you give us understanding. May we not allow, allow the truth of your word to flow past us. 
Help us to grab hold of it and to hold on to your truth so that we don't drift away. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this precious gospel that Jesus Christ came from heaven to this earth, made himself a man to be one of us so that he might make propitiation for us. Thank you for your great work and sacrifice on our behalf. Open our eyes now that we might see your word and make it alive in us, we pray. Amen. As you can appreciate to do, uh, I don't know, close on quite a few verses here today is not ideal because each of these verses is in a sermon on its own. But to be able to track forward, we're going to be looking at this thought unit or pericope it's like periscope without the S, all right? It's a thought unit. We've got to look at that thought unit of where the author to the Hebrews is going so that we can see what he's actually saying to us. And so we're going to be looking at this specific passage from verses 5 through to 16 and 17 and 18, but I'll be covering that in more depth next Sunday when we get around God's table because it has perfect relevance. And so we'll be looking at the first 16 today. So what is the future of the human race? If you look at your TV, if you open the news, you see all the things happening in Mali and all over the place. Should we be optimistic or pessimistic? In many ways, we've got reason to be both. In the last century, uh, we've made, mankind has made many advances in science and technology, and especially in the last few years, uh, in computing power. If you think of what we can do now with computers... Your little phone that you've got in your pocket has more computing power in it than when people were sent to the moon on all those computers they had. Your computer on your phone can do more. Amazing. We can even land drones and fly them on Mars now and many other great things. But at the same time, on this earth we've also got ecological disasters. We've had two world wars. It looks like a third, you know, it's kind of brinking all the time. We've got genocide on an unprecedented scale. We find cures for diseases on one hand, and on the other hand, a global pandemic cripples the whole world and brings countries to a standstill. The Hebrew Christians, at the time of this, when this letter was written, they were also asking, what is our future? Is it optimistic or pessimistic? Many had lost their economic futures by claiming the name of Jesus Christ. They'd been pushed out of their Jewish circles of economy. They were now in social isolation because their families had declared them dead. When you walked away from the Juda Judaism, your family declared you dead. And so there they were questioning their futures because they'd become Christ followers. Doubts started to creep in. And they were asking themselves, is the stand I'm taking for Jesus Christ worthwhile? Many people ask that question today. As life gets harder and harder for believers. These believers had already been reminded in chapter 1 that we've studied previously that Jesus, this Jesus that they had put their trust in, was far greater than the angels. And the angels were awesome. But he's so much more awesome. 
His almighty creator, God. This Jesus that they are worshipping. And the writer to the Hebrews reminds them of this. His deity had been confirmed by God Himself. His Godness. And God had done this through the prophets, through the apostles, through the Holy Spirit Himself, in the giftings and the miracles He had shown. And they'd been reminded that Jesus' deity saved them. And then we came to that warning passage we looked at last time. And he says, in the light of who Jesus is and what he's done for you and his awesomeness, be warned. Trust this Jesus. Take him at his word. When, when the truths come past you of who Jesus is, grasp hold of them. Don't let them just drift by you. Because if you don't hold on to that truth, you yourself will start drifting. The future of those who will inherit salvation, verse 14 of chapter 1 says, is secure. If you hold on to Jesus Christ, God ensures this as God. So his deity is important. And then he kind of carries on with that thought here in verse 5. He says, just as Jesus' deity saves you, so his humanity saves you too. So today we're going to speak all about the incarnation. Big word. What is the incarnation? Jesus from God becoming man. The incarnation. So we are about the incarnation. How does the humanity of Jesus ensure the future of those who trust in him? You see, for many the incarnation is a dirty word today. Really dirty. God becoming a man is a scandal to Muslims. How can God become man? Scandal. To many others, it's unacceptable and un unbelievable. God becoming man is like on the, on the level of fairy stories and legends. Why would God do such a thing? If there is a God... Why did God send His Son to become a son of man, a human being? You see, we've got to go back to the very beginning. It's a very good place to start, to quote a song. You see, man had and then lost his dominion over the earth. We saw that in verses 5 to 8. Man had dominion at creation, and then he lost it. Let's go and look at that. Genesis chapter 1, and this is where you needed your Bibles. I just wanted to see who's got them. Genesis chapter 1, go right back to Genesis 1, verse 26 to 28. And you'd better read this because this is your job description. Verse 26 of Genesis 1, Then God said, Let us, that's the Trinity, not Him and the angels, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Stress from me. Despite what the world might say. And God blessed them and God said to them, 
Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So there's our mandate from the Lord. Have dominion over the earth. And for a little while there, man had dominion over the earth. And then what happened? The great stuff up. Satan came in, influenced Adam and Eve, and mankind fell. And because Adam and Eve fell, you and I fell. And so that's what the psalmist is talking about here. David, in quoting, in, um, in the writer of the Hebrews, quoting this verse from Psalms, Psalms 5, Psalm 8 rather, he says that even though man was a little lower than the angels, we've seen that already, yet God crowned him with glory and honor. Contra to astronomer Carl Sagan's words, who said man has no significance, he said this, he said, there's no special significance to this small world. The very hugeness of the universe mocks the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe. You see how man is deluded? However, man lo lost that dominion when he sinned. He died spiritually, he became a slave to sin, and he came under Satan's power. We read about that in Romans chapter 5, verses 12. Listen to these words. Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. So that's you and I now. So man came under the curse of sin, including the loss of his dominions. Thorns infested the earth. Man started killing man. Animals started killing animals. Man started killing animals. And at one level, he had lost his dominion. On another level, he's still master of creation, right? My dog hasn't worked out how to land on the moon yet. Monkeys haven't composed symphonies. Although some symphonies sound like they've been composed by monkeys. That's a different issue. But there's no doubt who is boss on this planet Earth. There's no doubt. And yet on the other level, we've failed miserably to rule this world, to have dominion over it. We failed in our task. Why? Because of sin. And the result is rather evident. He says in chapter 2, verse 8, But now we do not yet see all things put under Him. Small letter, us. We don't see everything under our dominion because we lost it. And therefore we've got evil dictators. That's why we need to send peacekeepers into Mali. That's why we've got deaths of innocent babies, yes, even by legislation. That's why we've got all kinds of perversions, yes, even allowed by legislation. We've lost our dominion. But before you get all depressed, it's not all lost. Second point here, Jesus, now take note, Jesus as a man regained that dominion, verse 9. It's what it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, and now he's quoting Psalm 8 again and assigning it to the Messiah. 
we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. There's the hope we have. Jesus has reclaimed that dominion for us. When we look at our role, we don't see it. Jesus at work, we see his dominion has been reclaimed for man. The Son of God became one of us human beings. For a little while, he was made a little lower than the angels. He left his heavenly position. He made himself into human form. He was born of a virgin. Fact. And then Jesus grew up as a human being. He, had, he was a little baby for a while. He grew up as a toddler. He grew up as a little child. He became a young man. He then became an adult. And he ministered on this earth as a human being like you and me. He lived the perfect life unlike you and me. And then he went willingly to suffer and to die. Why? Verse 9. There's the answer. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. You sticking with me still? There's a lot here. It's really condensed. We've got to stay with it. He died by the grace of God so that he might taste death for everyone. And through this act, Jesus, as Son of Man, was crowned with glory and honor by God. And in that act, he regained our dominion for us. He went ahead of us because there is going to come a time when we will have dominion again. You see, as our rep human representative, Jesus has regained that dominion so that in the world to come, chapter 1 verse 5, or sorry, 2 verse 5, sorry, 1 verse 5, man will once again have dominion on this earth. Let's go look at that. Romans 8 verses 18 to 21. Look at that with me, Romans 8, verses 18 21. See how the Apostle Paul ties this together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's you and me now. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of what? Of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we are saved. The creation is awaiting the future rule when man will once again have dominion under Christ over the new creation. Is our future bright and optimistic? Yes, it is. There's hope, there's optimism because of Jesus Christ. There's a third point there, if you look at verses 10 to 13 of Hebrews chapter 2. Jesus, now listen to the qualifier, Jesus as a risen from the dead man brings many sons to God. You see, Jesus was perfected through suffering. Now immediately your ears should prick up and say, hey, what? 
Come on. What do you mean? Wasn't he perfect? Is that what the term means? No. You see, we've got to be careful here. In one sense, Jesus was already perfect as God. Yes? Come on, Wangan East. Yes? Yes. As a man, he lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death. And of himself, he did not sin. So in what sense was he made perfect then? It was in his task. He was made perfect in his task. His task was to bring many sons to glory. How? By destroying the devil's death grip on mankind. And by freeing them from their fear of death. That was his task. And there was a time, now please listen carefully to what I'm saying. There was a time when he was not able to carry out that role. When was that? When he was still at his father's side as the second person of the Trinity. He had to become a man. He had to live a life on earth. He had to die the death. He had to rise from the dead. And then he was the perfect one for the role. Do you get it? That's the only sense we can use that word in. We use the same sense of a mechanic. They first have to go and be qualified before they can work as a qualified mechanic. They've got to go through a specific process. Jesus had to go through a process of becoming from God to man and then saving man. And so to be the pioneer of salvation, the one who was already the, now think of this, he was already the creator of everything, and everything that created was made for him and to him, and this one had to make himself nothing, says Philippians 2.7, and he had to become a man of flesh and blood like you and I, and he had to suffer death on a cross. He had never experienced death before. As God. He had to experience death like you and me. And in this act of suffering and dying as a man, he took our guilt on him and our punishment on him, and he was made perfect as the one and only sacrifice for sin. He qualified himself perfectly for the task. Do you get that perfect now? Perfectly? There's more. When Jesus died and then rose again, now listen to this. He broke Satan's hold of fear over us to which we had been enslaved. In other words, he enabled lost sinners to be brought into the presence of God as sons of glory. There's quite a difference between those lost in fear and sons of glory. And Christ was right in the middle of this as the God-man. He is the one who brings lost Fearful slaves to be made into sons of glory. You and I were there, if you're a believer. Christ is in the middle of it. There's more. Now listen, the word used here for bringing us into the presence of, of God the Father is the word pioneer. The one who goes ahead of. The Wright brothers. They were pioneers of flight, right? You and I don't have to get in little right flyers and fall and crash and fix and before we can go up and fly to Australia, for those who want to go there. We don't have to. Someone's gone ahead of us, and we get into a nice, comfortable aircraft, Rolls-Royce type, and we take off and land. Easy. Someone has gone ahead for us. Someone has pioneered 
Christ has pioneered for us. Same sense of this word. He's taken our sin on himself. He's gone ahead of us through death. He's risen from the dead. And now Jesus says to you and I, he says, come, follow me through death and resurrection. I have made the way for you. I will bring you into the Father's presence. I bring many sons to glory. Wow, thank you. Romans 5, verse 18 to 19 says this. Listen to this, Romans 5, 18 to 19. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Why? Because Christ has made it possible. He is the pioneer. We follow Him. But there's more. It's Hebrews. When He brings us into glory, are you ready for this now? Man, it's like those gifts you get on the TV, right? You get this, 57 other things because they're trying to get rid of stock. No, no, not here though. This is added glory. All right, there's more. When Jesus brings us, saved sinners, into glory by sanctifying us, that is to make us clean and to put us aside for God's service, when it brings us into, uh, into uh, before God's presence as sons of the Father, we now have a Father and we are called sons. And not just that, He now calls us brother. Or if you've got an older Bible, He calls us brethren. All right. Do you see what's happening here? We've been reclassified. We've been upgraded. We are now sons of God. Co-heirs with Jesus Christ. That's a whole different sermon. But we are brothers of Jesus Christ. He calls us His brothers. Now, it says here, He's not ashamed to call us brothers either. This would have meant so much to these Hebrews when they'd heard this. Why? Think of their situations. Ousted out of their families. Society didn't want to know them. And here, this one brings us near. He makes us sons of glory. He puts us in a family. He calls us brothers. And he's not ashamed to call me his brother. Think of the Jewish believer in a Jewish world. You see why it must have meant a lot to them? That's not all. There's a fourth thing here. Jesus, the flesh and blood sacrifice, again, I'm putting stress on as a human. The flesh and blood sacrifice breaks Satan's power and he frees fearful slaves. Now, you need to understand this point. Because if you don't, you won't understand why the world can't understand what we're on about. You see, by suffering and dying as a human, Jesus, like us, he broke the power of Satan over us, which kept us slaves to him. What was the power of Satan? No. Was it death? Who's it? Thank you, Alan. I'll give you extra lollies afterwards. <laughs> Satan's power isn't death. Satan's power is fear of death. Who decides who dies? 
God does. Satan wants people to think he does. He blinds them to that. Why? Because there's a far greater danger he's covering up. What's the deceit that Satan puts out to the world? Death is your greatest enemy. Fear death. But what's their greatest enemy? An eternity without Christ is far greater than death. Do you see the deceit? And Jesus came and he breaks Satan's power over humans. What is that? The fear of death. People fear death. They pay millions because of that fear of death. Think of the cosmetic range out. Think of all the ways that they're trying to save human bodies and preserve them. People fear death. And the de devil deceives people into thinking death's the ultimate thing to fear. They don't fear an eternity without Christ. People say there's nothing to fear after death. We just cease to exist. They've swallowed his bait. People don't fear God's judgment of their sin. They say, we don't believe in God. We'll live life our way. Swallowed the bait. Satan can't kill of his own accord, but he can deceive. Satan can't kill of his own accord, but he can deceive. Think of the story of Job. Satan wanted to wipe out Job. The Lord said, no. I'm the one who decides who dies. But he allowed things to happen. Think of Jesus dying on the cross. Did Satan kill him? Jesus said, I came to give my life and to offer it up. What did he say? It is finished. And he gave up his spirit. Don't you give Satan any more power than he deserves. He has no power over death. Don't believe that lie. He has power over fear. And so when people can't understand, it's because Satan has that power over them. They can't understand. Their minds need to be enlightened first. Their souls need to be given light so that they can then see the life. You see, Jesus came to break this fear of death and therefore Satan's hold over people, and to point to this greater danger of God's judgment. But then at the same time, Jesus says, I have died for you. I've paid the price that for the judgment of God demands of you. Will you trust in me and entrust yourself to me? I died that you might live. And then just as a PS, verse 16, note, this help is not available to angels. It's unique to mankind. It's available to the descendants of Abraham. Sons of men, in other words. You see, we are important in God's eyes. Humanism will, will tell you you are not important. You are just at the part of a process of cogs. And if the cogs get greater than you, you die. Someone else takes your place. We're just part of a process. So what's the conclusion of this process, of this passage rather? Verses 17 and 18, and I'm going to next week. But just very shortly, Jesus became a human like us in every single aspect. Why? So that he has to be, 
so that He becomes to us a merciful, that is for every time we sin, He becomes a merciful high priest, one who intercedes for us between us and God. He becomes for us a faithful high priest, unlike the human high priests who were fallible, who sinned before the Lord. Jesus is the unsinning one, the one who's always right with God, the one who's always able to intercede for us. He's always there. He'll always be able to make the sin payment on our behalf because He is the sin payment. He's the perfect high priest. The priest and the sacrifice rolled in one. He became one of us in every single aspect, says verse 17 and 18. Yes, He was, yet He was without sin and therefore... He can understand and come to our aid when we need it. And there's the whole comfort of this passage. We'll come to that next week. It's a pity I had to break it up. What do we do with this passage? I've got three points for you here. First one is this. What is the future of the human race and your future? What is it? Should we be optimistic or pessimistic? Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. We know the story. We've read the last page in the book. Haven't we? It's been revealed to us. Although we've lost our dominion over the earth and are suffering the consequences now, Jesus, our, in, our incarnate Savior, the one who became man, has won it back. And we will rule with Him over the new creation in the world to come. We don't have to whimper off into the dark night of oblivion as humanism will teach you. A glory awaits those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. Note, those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. If you do not yet know Jesus Christ, a glorious future does not await you. And things won't automatically just become right. You've got to do something. You've got to do nothing. And bow the knee to Jesus Christ. He will do the rest. You can't. Come to Jesus Christ. Otherwise a very different eternity waits you. But you believers, you can smile all the time. Our future is glorious in Christ. Secondly, follow your leader. Anyone played the game before? Yeah, I remember playing with my five brothers. We did all kinds. You do whatever the leader does. If he jumps, you jump. If he stretches arms, you do it. If he falls on the ground and lies on his back, winking his eyes, you do the same thing. The scripture passage says to you and I today, follow your leader. Follow the pioneer who's gone before you. The one who's gone ahead. He calls you faithfully to follow in his footsteps. How do you do that? Through a daily relationship with him. What did he do? Daily relationship with the Father as the Son who was human and God. Obedience to his word. What did he do? He was obedient to the letter to the Father. Follow your leader. And this might mean following Jesus Christ through pain, through hardship, through suffering. Didn't he go through these things? Follow your leader. And if he doesn't return before, it will mean following him through death. I love this. 
This is what gives me encouragement. He comes to every single one of you at death. Whoops. Nearly did that prematurely. <laughs> he comes to every single one of us at death, right? And when we approach death, he says, come. Come. I've been there. Come. Come with me. I've died. I've suffered. My eyes closed in death. I didn't know what that was going to feel like. But come. Because at the other side of resurrection, at the other side of death, what lies there for you? Resurrection lies there. The moment you close your eyes in death, I will be there for you. I'm with you. Your soul will always know the presence of God through death. You'll never be alone. He says, come. I went ahead of you. I was resurrected. What's going to happen to you? You will be resurrected. Follow your leader. I've been there. Into eternity, we follow him. Yes? No revival yet. All right. You're a hard bunch. You see, one day when I'm lying in the tomb, I will hear my name being called. Calvin, come forth. And I will hear my name because it's the Son of God calling my name. The one who holds life in his hands. And he will give me life. And I will come out of death. And I will be with him into eternity. Death has lost its sting. I don't have to fear death anymore. Satan, stand back. I am owned and held by Jesus Christ himself. The author and the finisher of my faith. Almighty God holds me. What can he do? That leads me to my last point. Jesus is not ashamed to call me brother. In light of everything we've heard today and everything he does, am I ashamed to call him Lord before the world? Would you dare disown the name of Jesus Christ? Or, to put it conversely, do you love him so much for what he's done that you can't help but tell the world about this one you love? Call him Lord before the world. And the world will see Jesus Christ through you. And another soul will be saved from Satan's grasp and will lose their fear of death and face an eternity with Christ, not before him. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement of your word. Thank you that we are not on our own as we live this life but that you became one of us. You know exactly the things we are suffering through. You know exactly the temptations we go through because you were there too. Lord, help us when we fall. Help us when we sin before you. Help us to know that we can come to you and ask for forgiveness and you will give us forgiveness because your task is to bring many sons to glory. You will forgive our sins. You will present us before your Father as clean, sanctified, set apart once again to serve. That guilt not hold 
its sphere tentacles over our lives. May we put these things into the hands of Jesus Christ and feel that release on our lives. And may, may we go out from there and fearlessly proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the one who became man like us. Lord, use us in this city of Wanganui fearlessly, openly to proclaim the, new, the name of Jesus Christ and so that the world will see through our actions that there is one who lives in us who is far greater but who, the one who gives hope for us into the future. There is hope to be had in Jesus. The world needs to hear that message, Lord. May we speak it and may you give us the words to speak. 